0: Amen. My heart is full. That was awesome. Jude. Next, to last book of the Bible, book of Jude, third message of four that we're going to do in the book of Jude. And then I'll let you know, after Jude, we're going to finish out our year. Well, not finish out the year, but take a good rest of the year looking at the ministry and life of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. So that will be starting after our time in Jude. Jude has been reminding us of a particular climate that will exist on the earth in the last days. Remember, the last days are those days between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. It's a time of a great falling away from God's people, from the church. There is a word that's used to describe this great falling away. It's a word you may hear every once in a while. It's called apostasy. It is simply a word that speaks about the falling away that's going to take place. Now, in the passage we're going to look at tonight, there's two main things that Jude wants to remind us of. He says, don't be surprised by the falling away. Or don't let the falling away that's happening surprise you. And secondly, don't let the falling away around you stop you. Okay? Don't let it surprise you, and don't let it stop you. In fact, just follow along with me. I'm just going to read verses 17 through 23 tonight, and then we'll finish next week looking at the benediction, verses 24 and 25. Jude writes, But you, dear friends, beloved... Recall the predictions foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, for they said to you, in the end time there will come scoffers propelled by their own ungodly desires. These people are divisive, worldly, devoid of the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building up yourselves on your most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, maintain yourselves in the love of God while anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. And have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Have mercy on others coupled with the fear of God, hating even the clothes stained by the flesh. Hope you're ready to look at many scriptures tonight. Because I'd like to actually start, keep your finger in Jude, and go back to the Gospel of John. Just follow along with me as we go through the New Testament. Jude is telling us In the first few verses here in this passage, don't be surprised or caught off guard by this falling away. It was predicted by the apostles. I think Jude was very well aware that this falling away started even during the ministry of Jesus. And I want to show you this. In John chapter 6, verse 66, which I always thought was interesting, 666, that Jesus had just gotten done saying some really hard things. And the Bible tells us in John 666, after this, after Jesus said these hard things, many of his disciples quit following him, falling away, and did not accompany him any longer. It wasn't just... Oh, they left for a little while, then they came back. It was a decisive, we're never going to follow you again. And notice Jesus' response. He turns to the 12, and he says, do you want to go away too? Or you don't want to go away too, do you? I mean, can you just feel sort of the pathos there and, and the heart that Jesus has in that question? Of course, Simon Peter pipes up and says, Lord, to whom would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. But I want to point out that this falling away began even during Jesus' ministry, but it didn't stop there. Now go with me to the book of First Timothy. The book of First. In fact, yeah, let's go there first. I already told you, 1 Timothy. So let's go there. In 1 Timothy 4, look at verse 1. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will desert the faith, fall away from the faith, and occupy themselves with deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse three, for there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things and they will turn away from hearing the truth. Two more. First John, let's go to First John and I want to take you back to the book of Acts. First John, chapter two. Look at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have appeared. We know from this that it is the last hour. They went out from us. Don't miss that. They were part of the church at one time. But they did not really belong to us. Because if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us to demonstrate that all of them do not belong to us. And then if you go back to Acts chapter 20, I should have went there after John, so I apologize for that. Didn't mean to go back and forth like a ping pong ball. I'm asking you to do enough turning in your Bible, right? Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and 30. Paul says to the elders in Ephesus, I know that after I am gone, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. Even from among your own group, men will arise teaching perversions of the truth to draw the disciples away after them. So I wanted to take you to those, to just show and remind all of us, this is a theme that runs throughout the New Testament. And I could have, we could have went to tons of other verses and passages that basically are saying the same thing. There is a great falling away. It started even with the ministry of Jesus Christ, where many of his disciples quit following him because of the things that he was teaching. So now, in light of all those, go back to Jude and look for a moment here again at verse 17, 18, and 19. But you, is how he starts out, a very stark contrast to the picture that he's painted at the beginning of his book, this picture of those who were being easily led away and deceived by these false teachers who, like Paul said, were coming in as wolves in sheep's clothing and were drawing people to themselves rather than to God. And and he was seeing this exodus from from the church, if you will, and, and from the truth of God and from the worship of God. And he's contrasting that by saying, but you're different. You're different. And then he reminds them again how loved they are. The phrase dear friends in the Net Bible is the Greek word agapatoi. It literally means beloved or divinely loved ones. And he's not just reminding them and us again about God's immense and uh, great love for us he's also declaring Jude his love for the people that he's writing to. Your love, he said. Don't ever forget that, because part of what Satan uses to draw people away from God is when they feel like there's something greater out there, some greater love, some greater satisfaction, some greater fulfillment than what they've already got in God or could have in God. And so it's always good to be grounded in love, and we've certainly been there tonight in our time of worship. Then he says, recall, continually keep these things in mind. What? The predictions foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, Jude is saying, the expression to be forewarned is to be forearmed. You know these things. Now again, You and I are challenged by this in the sense that you and I cannot recall the Scripture if we don't know it in the first place, which is why we need to be students of the Word of God, and we need to read it, we need to study it, we need to memorize it, we need to meditate on it, because how can we recall things that we do not know? How can we bring them to the forefront of our mind if we don't know them in the first place? Then he says this. For they said to you over and over that in the end time, the time between Christ's first coming and second coming, scoffers will come. Those who will make fun of our faith, of our love for God. Those who will mock us. Those who will deride us. That's what the word scoffer means. Those who will belittle us because of our faith in Jesus Christ, because we are willing to follow him no matter what, because we're not living for this world, but for the world to come. And notice he says they are propelled by their own ungodly, meaning they live without any regard for God, desires. They are motivated by self-interest alone. And the Bible paints that picture. 2 Timothy 3.1, In the last days, difficult times will come because men will be lovers of their own selves. They will love pleasure more than love God. It will be all about them. So he's saying, beware. You are different, he says. You are loved. Be grounded in that love and remember these things so that you're not surprised when people start to fall away from God, from his word, from the faith, From church. Don't be surprised by that, because over and over and over again, the Bible has declared that. It started with the ministry of Jesus, and it will continue until Jesus comes. One more thing about these folks. Notice verse 19. They're divisive. They are combative and contentious. In fact, it paints a picture of people who draw a line and say, if you're not on this side with me, then you're my enemy. I think to myself, whoa, we got a lot of that going on today, don't we? Combative and contentious. And guess what? They come into the church and then begin to divide the church that is to be unified under Jesus Christ. They are worldly, meaning they're just earthly minded. They're not spiritually minded. They're not eternally minded. And here's the bottom line reason why. They don't have the Spirit. Literally in the original, the spirit they don't have, or as the net translates it, devoid of the spirit. And we know them then that means they're not a true believer because all true believers in Jesus Christ have the indwelling Holy Spirit. So the fact that Jude is pointing out that these people are amongst us, but they do not possess the Holy Spirit means they're not really saved. They're just sort of like hanging with us. And again, Isn't it interesting that the book that talks about this kind of sort of situation is written by a man whose name in the long form is Judas. Judas hung around with Jesus and the disciples, and no one knew except Jesus that his heart really wasn't with them. you see. And so Jude is saying, this will happen. It will happen throughout the history of the church. And you and I have to be aware of it and not be caught off guard by it. And then also then, not be stopped by it. Not be discouraged by it. Don't let those who are falling away and who are, you know, not as committed or even dedicated even other Christians as we want to be, don't let them negatively affect us. Let's be different, which is why then in verse 20 he says, don't be surprised by the falling away and don't let the falling away stop you. You keep going, which is why he starts out verse 20, but you, again, using another striking contrast, to the others that he's already talked about in the first 16 verses. And then again, notice he says, but you, dear friends, oh, don't forget how loved you are by God and how loved you are by me and by others. Be grounded in love. And then he sets forth four things that you and I need to do to keep going, keep progressing, keep advancing in spite of the falling away, so that we're different from many of those around us in the days in which we live. And the first one is this, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. And notice, first of all, both in verse 20 and in 21, the word yourselves. In other words, you and I have to take personal responsibility for where we are spiritually. Primarily, we can never... You know, blame our spiritual health and well-being or lack of it on anybody else but us. We've got to take ownership of our own spiritual life. Yourselves, he said. And then he uses the word building. Continually adding to the foundation. There's a foundation and you and I then must continually add to that foundation. That is our personal responsibility. And it's all about faith. So what is he reminding us of there? That faith comes by hearing. Hearing by what? The Word of God. So in a sense, <clears throat> verse 20, the first part of it, is about our relationship to the Word of God. That's how we build upon that Foundation. Now, keep your finger there. We're going to come back there. I want to take you back to a couple other scriptures. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because I do want to remind us of this. Remember, he talked about building, and that means adding to the foundation, but let's not forget what the foundation is. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, and I'm just going to start in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, but someone else builds on it. And each one must be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than what is being laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let's stop there for a minute. The only foundation you and I must have is Jesus Christ. And if we don't have Jesus Christ as our foundation, then we've got to start there. Because no matter what we build on a foundation other than Jesus Christ, it will not hold up. Jesus Christ is the only solid foundation. Then, based upon this and based upon some other passages, then you and I, once we've established that Jesus Christ is the foundation of our life and our being and everything else, then we begin to add to that. That's building ourselves up on our most holy faith. So notice what he goes on to say. Verse 12. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each builder's work will be plainly seen, for the day will make it clear, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what kind of work each has done. When put to the test, only what is real, only what is good, is going to pass the test. Fake, pretend, Doesn't pass the test. So when put to the test, fake will not protect you. Before I go on, let me illustrate that this way. I was reading randomly this story, tragic story actually, about a man in New Zealand many, many years ago. Some of you in here are old enough to remember when the seatbelt law came into being, right? I mean, I'm old enough to know when you didn't have to wear seatbelts in a car, and that was perfectly okay, but there came a point where seatbelts required by law, right? So there was this man in New Zealand, and he refused to wear a seatbelt. He got like 50 tickets. He had thousands of fines in New Zealand for not wearing a seatbelt after it was required by law. So he had the crazy idea one time that he was just tired of fooling with the police and having him pulled over and all these things like that, that he was going to make a fake-looking seatbelt so that they wouldn't pull him over anymore. And it did work as far as he got less and less pulled over and no more tickets, but here's where the lesson comes in. He was in an accident, and he was thrown forward, and he was killed. And what we need to gather from that story is this when put to the test, what is fake will not protect us. And that's why God calls us to reality, because when we're tested, When we're put in the fire, when our lives are put into the fire, if it's not real, if our life with God, our worship of God, our relationship to the Word of God, and all that, if it's not real, we won't be protected. You see. Because when tested, what is fake will not protect us. Then go to the book of 2 Peter, talking about adding to our faith or to the foundation, I wanted to mention these words. Begin at chapter 1, verse 5, 2 Peter. For this very reason, Peter says, make every effort to what? Add to your faith. Add excellence, to excellence knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly affection, to brotherly affection unselfish love. For notice verse 8 of 2 Peter 1. If these things are really yours and are continually increasing, growing, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in your pursuit of knowing our Lord Jesus Christ more intimately. Be more fruitful, as Nicole pointed out in her prayer. Okay? Add. So back to Jude. The first thing that you and I need to do to be different It's to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. Secondly, verse 20, by praying in the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? Well, some have taken it to mean speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. And I certainly would not disagree that that's part of what he's saying here. But he's also talking about the fact that you and I when we pray in the Spirit, if we do not have the gift of tongues, that we are to pray within the sphere of the Spirit. We are to pray immersed in the Spirit. And that that's how our prayer life is to absolutely be governed and directed. In other words, what Jude is saying is, when we pray, not if we pray, our prayer should be Our prayer life should be empowered by the Spirit, energized by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit. In other words, we just let the Spirit of God take over our prayer life. So the Spirit of God will bring people to mind that we should be praying for. And the Spirit of God, if we turn to Him, will give us the energy and the focus that we need to pray, and and the Spirit will remind us to pray. And so as we're obedient and filled with the Spirit, we will pray as the Spirit leads us to pray. And the Bible even tells us when we're at a place where we don't even know what to pray, that the Spirit of God takes over and literally takes our emotions and and the groanings and the things that you and I can't even articulate to God, and He intercedes for us on behalf of us to the Father. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. It basically means that everything we do in our prayer life, again, should be immersed in the Spirit. From the time we start praying to the time we stop praying to who we're praying for and what we're praying about and all of that, everything needs to be within the sphere of the Spirit. And when you and I are filled with the Spirit, it's going to energize and empower our prayer life. You see? So, verse 20, you have the Word of God, you have our prayer life, and then we've already touched on it in the introduction, verse 21, worship. That's what maintaining yourselves in the love of God is all about. It is a precious possession. What is the love of God? And he's saying, stay close to it. Don't distance yourself from God's love. Keep Desiring to be in the presence of God. Keep running after God. Keep drawing near to Him. Keep, keep declaring that He's number one. He's your greatest desire. He's who you want to spend time with more than anything or anyone else. Which then leads us to the final thing here as far as these four. But I'm not finished yet. So don't, you yeah. know. Then he says while anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. You see, he's coupling, verse 21, these two things together because continual fellowship with God is going to motivate and expect that longing and yearning for God to come and for things to change. In other words the more you and I worship God and the more we're in His presence, the more we want to be with Him. And yes, we are with Him in spirit. We are with Him spiritually. But Jude says there will come a point in our Christian life where being with God spiritually isn't enough, where we want to see Him. We want to see His face. We want to literally be in His physical presence. And we live every day longing and and wanting Him to come and rescue us from off this earth. Which is why, isn't it interesting that notice how Jude couches the return of Christ here and seeing Christ physically? He, he couches it as the mercy of God. And it is. It is merciful when God delivers us from this earth. It is merciful when we don't have to live here anymore and and deal with our own sin and and, and everyone else's sin and all all that's going on. It, it It is an expression of God's mercy when he takes us to be with him that brings eternal life. And let me just clarify so that we're all on the same page there too. That doesn't mean I don't presently have eternal life. He's talking about the consummation of my eternal life. The moment I accept Christ, I have eternal life. But remember, eternal life sort of is also described in the New Testament in stages. I am justified the moment that I accept Christ as my Savior. I am sanctified or being sanctified my whole Christian life, as Jude described, as I grow up as a Christian and become all that God created me to be. But then there's another part of my Eternal life. Glorification, where again, God takes me to be with him. And as John says, when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And Jude says, that's mercy. That's God's mercy that he's taking us away from here to be with him. So Jude is saying, Don't be surprised by the falling away. It's going to happen. It's been predicted. It happened to Jesus. It will happen throughout the history of the church. Do not let the falling away surprise you, and do not let those falling away around you stop you. You be different. You build yourself up. You keep praying in the Holy Spirit continually. You keep worshiping and maintaining your closeness to God and allow that closest neg- to God give you such a, a longing to be with God physically that every day you wake up expectantly wanting and longing and, and, and loving to, to just say, Jesus, I just want to be with you more than anything else. And we could stop there, and it'd be good. But Jude doesn't stop there. Jude has one more thing to say but I want us first of all to notice the order because this is so important. Jude says, don't let the falling away surprise you, don't let the falling away stop you, and don't let the falling away desensitize you. In the context, don't let it desensitize you to the needs around you of others. Because remember, the Bible says one of the things that's going to happen in the last days is that the love of many will grow cold, that the the world will become a very cold place because there will not be this great expression of selfless, sacrificial love like Jesus had. It will be, again, a love of of just total selfishness and self-interest and turning inward rather than outward. But what I want us to first notice is this the order. Before Jude ever exhorts us to look out for others, he first says, you better make sure you're in a good place first, which goes back to the principle from day one that we've had here at the Oasis that we try to remind each other of and encourage each other with, is that we minister to others out of the overflow. Overflow. If you and I are not ministering out of the overflow, then we're not going to minister very long. We, we can't sustain that. It's always got to start with our own personal walk with God and making sure that you and I are walking with God every day, building up our faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, worshiping Him as we stay close in His love, and then looking for Him and anticipating His coming and longing to be with Him. It's out of that solid spiritual foundation that then we can more effectively minister to others. Otherwise, you and I are going to experience what many Christians experience down through history, and that is what we call burnout. And all that is is simply that we, because ministry is draining, there's no doubt about it, you get involved in other people's lives, and God uses you as an instrument of his mercy in other people's lives, and guess what? It will drain you. So unless you and I are allowing God to fill us up, as we go out there and minister to others, it's not going to be very long to, well, we got nothing left. We've got nothing to pull from because we're not letting God fill us up first. So the first priority is, our own walk with God, then out of the overflow of that, that's how we minister effectively to others. And notice, the first thing is he says, have mercy on those who are wavering. You and I won't be merciful to others unless we've received and are receiving the mercy of God and unless we appreciate and recognize and acknowledge the mercy of God. What is the mercy of God? His compassion, His pity, His sympathy towards us when we're in such desperate need. And not only that, it's not just a... A mental thing. It's the idea that he's willing and wanting to help us out of our terrible situation. And God, when we receive his mercy and acknowledge his mercy and recognize his mercy in his, in our life, how merciful he's been to us and continues to be to us, then we can become more merciful to others, especially those who are hurting and in need. And that's really what the word waiver means. It's those who haven't quite landed yet, those who are still trying to figure things out, those who are unstable. Jude says, be merciful to those people. They haven't totally cut God off yet. They haven't totally cut you off yet, but they're not maybe as far down the road as you, so be merciful to them. Then he says, and there may be times where God leads us to be instruments of his spiritual intervention in other people's lives. And again, this is why it's so important that we're in a good place because what Jude is about to describe is basically saying that sometimes God wants us to literally be a spiritual fireman or a spiritual lifeguard. And what he's going to describe is is almost like what those brave people do when they go into a burning building and try to save people. And all he's saying to us there is, there may be times where God leads you to do that, but be very careful and cautious because we all know even in those situations there have been many firemen, rescue people, first responders who've given up their lives trying to rescue somebody else. There have been many lifeguards. I was a lifeguard one time in my life, and one of the things they taught you in lifeguard school is, yes, we're here to save those who may be drowning or in danger out there, caught in an undertow or something, but you've got to make sure that you don't go under too, you know. And how many people trying to rescue others from drowning end up drowning themselves? So Jude gives us a pause and says, you need to make sure that the Lord is leading you to be one of his instruments of intervention. But make sure that as you do this, that not only are you being led by God, but that you're giving it the greatest care and concern and caution you can as you do it. Why? Because basically what Jude's saying here, and I'm going to read it in just a minute, there are messed up people out there. And they are so far in darkness and in their addiction and in the situation that they have, that you've got to be careful that as you rescue them, you don't get pulled under too. So notice what he says. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Jude is literally describing heroic action with a sense of urgency. Spiritual intervention. And even as a pastor, I will tell you, there have been times in my 36 years as a pastor where I've done this, but not like all the time. You're talking about really serious stuff here. But if God leads you to do it, we've got to do it. And there's going to be people that you know in that situation that I don't know. And people that you can reach that I could never reach. People that trust you maybe that don't trust me or someone else. So God may tap you. Make sure you're on that solid foundation. Then he says, have mercy on others coupled even with a fear of God, hating even the clothes that are stained by the flesh. In other words, he's saying there again people in such darkness, their whole being is so contaminated by what they are involved in that you need to make sure that again you're not going to get pulled under spiritually by trying to help them spiritually. You've got to maintain that healthy distance, if you will, even while you're trying to rescue and save others. Otherwise, we get infected, too, and we certainly understand that dynamic, don't we, in the days in which we live. In a sense, what Jude is describing at the end of verse 23 is sin as an infectious disease that can be spread and spread its contamination if we're not careful, as we help those who are trapped and caught in it all. So here... Here's how I want to bring this all together tonight. Jude has painted, in a a sense, a very real yet very dark picture about the conditions and climate upon the earth in what we call the last days, growing worse from Christ's first coming to second coming. But Jude says, as we've talked about even in our Call of God series, The call of God will not lead us to where the grace of God cannot enable us. And if God has called us to live in this time, in this age, dealing with the challenges that we have, then none of us have an excuse to say, God, you didn't give me enough to be able to rise to the challenge. No. No. God will give us whatever we need to still be true to Him and be faithful to Him and still be used by Him to be instruments of intervention in the world in which we live. But here's the key, and this is what I want to leave us with. Jude says, we've got to take personal responsibility for where we are spiritually. And we've got to make sure that we are focused on building ourselves up on our most holy faith, a faith that is distinct from all other faiths. It's not like any other faith. And the way we do that is primarily through the Word of God. Keep growing as we get into the Word of God and let the Word of God get into us. Secondly, pray like mad in the Holy Spirit. When we are filled with the Spirit, when we are walking in the Spirit, the Spirit will energize us to pray, empower us to pray, guide us to pray, lead us to pray, tell us who we should be praying for, bring up people to be praying for. It's all immersed in the Spirit. Third, worship. Maintain yourselves in the love of God. God always loves us. Can never love us any more than he ever has. Never love us any less. His love for us is rock solid, unconditional. There's no greater love than the love of God. We sung about it. We worshiped to it tonight. But remember something. The way you and I really feel it is by maintaining that closeness. Because when you and I distance ourselves from God, those doubts begin to creep into our minds does God really love me? Does He really care about me? Does He notice what I'm going through? The closer we are to God, the more we're reassured and reaffirmed of His love for us. And then finally, anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ when He comes back. Living every day saying, Jesus, I just want to be with you. I just I just want to see you. I just want to go to heaven and but Lord, as long as you've got me here, I won't let this world desensitize me to the needs around me. I know there are hurting people. I know there are people who are hopeless. I know there are people who are trapped. And God, you may want to use me as one of your instruments of intervention to reach out to them through your Spirit leading me to to pull them out of the fire to pull them out of the water as they're going under. So God, help me not to grow cold towards others, even in this world that's growing cold. Let's pray. God, thank you tonight, more than anything, God, for reminding us how loved we are by you. Over and over again, Jude says, we've got to ground ourselves in God's love. We've got to live out of that love every day. We've got to immerse ourselves in his love. We've got to let let his love wash over us. And so, God, I pray tonight that as we leave this place or as we maybe just are there in our homes tonight and receiving this tonight, that, God, we we will just sense your love. That we will feel it that it'll be tangible, that, God, our hearts can be touched by it, that we know, God, that you feel for us, that you care for us more deeply than we could ever imagine, that we are objects of your deepest affection, that you're crazy about us, God, that you will go to any length, God, to shower your love upon us and to, to have a as close a relationship as we can so that, God, we can truly experience and enjoy your love at the highest possible level. And God, you made a way for us to be there with you in heaven and in glory for all of eternity because you love us. And so God, I pray tonight that out of your great love for us, we'll love you back and we'll love others as you love us. May we take the exhortations of Jude tonight and put them into practice in our life every day. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.